how you are perceived before you start performing can really give you a massive leg up. And even like if you're not if you're not sounding your best, like people will still feel like their lives changed after just experiencing you. Or it can really handicap you to the point where if people if your bio is, you know, sloppy and people are pointing out like you included some sleazy accomplishment or like, or Heather's even misspellings or that, um, you know, it's full of all these cliches, then you might step on stage and give the performance of your life. But people, unfortunately, people are going to maybe not uh, share that opinion of your performance. Welcome everybody to the Baking Notes Podcast. Podcast. Our next guest is Mm. the John Hong. John bro. Hong. Oh, this was, I know we say this all the time. This is the best episode, I think, of the <laughs> entire podcast. No cap. So he's, he is one of us. He's actually the, the catalyst of this relationship, of this pod. He's, he's the intermediary who introduced uh, us and said, hey, you guys should just do stuff together. And so this is all his <laughs> fault. So you can send, you can uh, send him a hate mail to his email, link in the description. And I'll blame him uh, Twitter. for Twitter. DM for him. Yeah. yeah, DM him. But actually, speaking of that, uh, he's he's great on Twitter. He is one of the bigger voices in our field in classical music on Twitter, like providing active commentary on what's going on. So he he now runs a a copywriting service specific to bios, but he will do your copy. He will do your marketing. He's got a great story. You can find it everywhere else. We kind of dug deeper uh, into his, into the personal life and the technical side of what he does. Uh, so throughout this podcast, you'll also hear uh, one of his talks, uh, a little bit about his life and some of the things he's learned along the way in crafting bios, copywriting, marketing. So if you hear him and not us, that's what's going on. But he started off as a salesman going door to door. This guy is a hustler. It took Hustle. him to Juilliard and then it took him to National Sawdust, which is like the new music venue in New York. And now it's taken him out on his own. He will fix your bios. He will fix your life. He has read all the books. He is a knowledge machine and he looks good while he does it. This is John Hong. I went on a rant. I didn't even let Drew. Drew, say something nice about John. <laughs> Well, when I first moved to New York, he was like, he was legitimately the first person who became my friend, really. It was him, Jocelyn Zhu, Tom Yaron, uh, Catherine Liu. It was just, it was the five core people during orientation and John Hong, the first day of Juilliard, we read chamber music together. And then from then on, we were inseparable. We performed Gluck performances at, at kids shelters, at hospices throughout New York City. He's a brilliant clarinetist, but even more than that, I got to know him personally through Sunday Donuts uh, during our uh, time at Juilliard. And we had so many philosophical and deep conversations. He is by far one of my favorite people on planet Earth. And you'll know by the end of this podcast exactly why. He's he's a great person, like I said. I would also say he was one of the first friends like, who wasn't uh, a composer or someone who I had a class with or interacted with or just had some interaction mm-hmm. with. Uh, I, I can point to him and then you as a friend formed beyond the scope of Juilliard. Just mm-hmm. going out and eating and talking, it was with him and Josh. And Josh over, Sardinia? Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Gotta oh, love yeah, boy. Shout out to Josh. Yeah. We got we to gotta get him on, too. We, man, we all met, him. and we ate Mexican food down in the village. 
and had a great conversation. And it was the first time I sat back and I was like, wait, these, these aren't colleagues. These aren't, you know, future work people. He's not play, he's not going to play my piece and that's not my goal. These are friends. And so we're, I'm kind of, I'm really excited for me to kind of just bring on and for all three of us to just share a conversation as friends, nerd out over books. Mm -hmm. And now that we've given him three separate intros, it is time for the John Hong. John Hong, ladies and gentlemen. Enjoy. Um, what's compelling about uh, copywriting and good copywriting is when it's done right, the copy compels you to do something that you weren't so sure you were going to do previously, right? So for many people, it's to make a purchase. Uh, for an artist, it's good copy. The reasons for it can range from maybe you want to get a notable critic to come to your concert um, to write about it. Maybe it's uh, persuading a total stranger to uh, chip in some money for your Kickstarter campaign for your first album. Mm. Maybe it's trying to persuade a loved one to join your Kickstarter campaign for your new album. Um, good words are the difference between no donation and a $5 donation, between a $5 donation and a $50 donation, between a $50 donation and a $500 donation. Um, being able to uh, be clear and concise and persuasive with the words that you write, uh, it's a huge game changer. Welcome to the Faking Notes podcast. Faking Notes podcast. Thanks Faking Notes podcast. <laughs> of course, we we're going to have you here. So uh, we, we were talking briefly before bringing you on, and we kind of came to the conclusion, I at least I did, that uh, this podcast is your fault. It's my fault. It's your fault. fault. We're, 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 we're passing all blame to you because you're the mutual connection between me and Drew. I would not know Drew if not for you. What? Yeah. Walk me through that. We never had a class, and it's kind of like Drew was in your friend circle, and I was one of the random ones in the, I guess, the year before class. Right, right, right. And somehow we bump into each other, probably through career service -y stuff. Career services, yeah. And because I didn't really, <laughs> I, of course, knew of Drew and talked to him you know, in passing at school, but we had no classes. Being a composer, you don't meet anyone unless you go out of your way. I lived in the dorm. Mm. Uh, and so it, it's you. It has to be you. You're the, you're the in-between. <laughs> That's amazing. I, I can't tell you how much mileage I've gotten just from freaking serving uh, pizzas to uh, <laughs> Wednesday lunch and learns. I somehow, man... <laughs> It's just, it's a crazy turn of events, you know, like I, uh, I have this, uh, awful breakup from like a festival romance the summer before. And it was just like, uh, I was like really down, like really spiraling summer before, uh, coming to Juilliard for my master's. And I'm like, okay, well, what, uh, what, what am I going to do about that? And I had known, um, it's a really long story, but I had, uh, I had done uh, uh, this whole like dating coach thing, um, not me being the dating coach, but going to a dating coach, like <laughs> yeah, uh, probably my uh, senior year of college. Yeah. So the year before that. Um, and then, uh, but then the, the breakup still happened anyway, but uh, I knew this um, woman that I worked with through the dating coaching. She did life coaching as well. So I was like, you know what? I'll give it a shot. You know, I'll reach out to her and see like how what she could do for uh, for uh, 
my life, put my pieces <laughs> back together and help me reach my dreams. And uh, we had this two hour um, thing in, uh, in, in a room and she basically, I explained my life and she did this amazing thing where she basically pointed out all of these flaws that, <laughs> that I, that I had and like what uh, we could do to, to improve them. And it was like, great like where what's what's it like to work with you how much is it and she's like yeah for six months it's eighty five hundred dollars so any rational person that's to any of you like one percenters i'm sure there are very (laughs) many of you in the faking notes we have we serve almost exclusively the one percent yeah we we live in a mansion and we tell people how to be wealthy you have to be patient with me as i explain this uh (laughs) eighty five hundred dollars is a lot of money to a then 22 year old that uh yeah so uh, any reasonable person would have been like okay like i gotta wait and uh figure out how i'm gonna get the money and then uh maybe come back but i felt like i had played it safe my whole life up until that point and it hadn't made me happy. And so I was like, fuck it, let's do it. And so I handed her my credit card and then $2,500 down payment was gone just like that. And then I didn't sleep that night because I had no idea how I was going to get the money. (laughs) This all relates back to career services. So uh, job fair at Juilliard comes. I sign up for every single conceivable position. Uh, the first person to give me an uh, uh, email back or call back or whatever it was, uh, career services at Juilliard. It was, uh, it was a humble, Barrett? I think nine <laughs> nine twenty five nine fifty an hour or something mm-hmm. like that. Yep. Um, and for those but, one percenters, uh, yes, that's also so much money. <laughs> That's extreme wealth. That there's no zeros after that nine. It's just nine. Like just <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. It was. Uh, it felt. It, it felt like. Uh, um, you know, I was just happy that it was money. You know, and mm-hmm. so I I sign up and the, she puts me in a, a slot that I was available. And one of them was Wednesdays from uh, like ten to two or something like that. And that just happened to be what every Wednesday uh, would be the Juilliard Lunch and Learn, where they would bring in different panelists and whatever. And I would be in charge of going and getting the pizza and bringing it to the, uh, bringing it. And I, I just kind of took on, I didn't have to serve it to anyone, but I just decided I was going to be the guy to, to, to serve <laughs> pizza to people. You did God's um, work. Yeah. John. But you were the reason uh, I was I down for pizza. So I, I attended so a lot of lunch many people about. doing that. Yeah. Um, like just like I just was just like a known face to anyone that had an inkling of entrepreneurial ambitions at Juilliard. Um, and then I was also I worked in the IT lab as well. And so a lot of times I was sitting in the, mm-hmm. the way that Juilliard IT lab is, as you guys know, you walk mm-hmm. in and the IT person is right at the door when you come in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I met a lot of people that way as well. So. Yeah, it, it ended up uh, being really great for my experience at Juilliard. And then um, one of the speakers of uh, the um, Lunch and Learn series, as my college career was coming to a close, was Paola Prestini, who owns the venue National Sawdust. And it was through her that I pitched uh, the limited writing experience I had at the time and asked her if I could work with her. And then that was my first job out of school. So it, it, it ended that whole thing all because of, uh, you know, 
all thanks to Juilliard career services, uh, <laughs> a lot, a lot of <laughs> decent things happened for me. I'm so curious. Um, can we circle back um, to that moment? Because in, in my life, you know, during when you were talking about you were going into Juilliard, you just had a breakup. That yeah. kind of defined much of my 20s was like this, this idea that I wasn't that I felt this like worthlessness based off of like the romantic uh relationships that I'd had. And I actually did seek out coaching too. I just never followed through like you did. Um, and I'm wondering when you had your first meeting with your life coach, like what were some of the things that she identified? Cause you were how old at this time? Yeah, I was, uh, I think I just turned 22. I think that's a August. lot of our listeners, actually. A lot of our listeners are in this mm. age range. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I think a lot of people, I mean, I, <laughs> probably talk about this. I still struggle with, you know, being productive and, and, and all of that. Me too. But, uh, you know, it's, there's always this feeling that, um, you have so much to contribute to the world, right. But not, uh, you haven't really, um, you watch other people and they seem to be, uh, I mean, I, I honestly look to you you guys on like this. It's on some level, like you seem to be putting what you want to do into the world. And then it's, it's like me, you know, it's like, Oh, like I really want to, you know, I, I feel like I've been told I'm smart. I was a smart kid growing up. I got all the, you know, awards that were given to me and, you know, all the, uh, even better than participation trophies in some cases, like feel like, you know, attendance uh, trophies. The, oh yeah. First, uh, first chair, all state, you know, like most improved trophies. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> best, uh, best sportsmanship. Oh, very proud of best sportsmanship. Um, not the, uh, ideal athlete growing up, but, uh, yeah, in the, um, I remember in the, uh, the, the, the life coaching, I think being, um, the thing ironically by far I got most out of it was, uh, basically being called out on not being vulnerable. Like I had, and I think that has, uh, that had a lot of downstream effects, not only in my, you know, relationships, which I would say ended in, um, which contributed to the breakup I had, but also in my, um, work and my friendships where I just wasn't, uh, in touch with just my feelings. Like I just never cried, for example, like, just like, I just thought it was not a, uh, you know, the, uh, masculine thing to do. Where or, does that, come from? Where does that um, come from? I mean, for me, a lot of it is, uh, the freaking uh, media that mm-hmm. we probably consumed in the, uh, mm-hmm. um, in the growing up. I mean, I, I don't know if you guys remember a show called 24. Uh, I, I shit was, you not. Oh, yeah, I am watching that ding, ding, right ding, now. Ding, ding. I, I just, what? I am one episode away from what? finishing season two. Cause it was Amy's, it was one of Amy's <laughs> favorite shows. And we're figuring, hey, the world's falling apart. Let's watch a show that's that is exclusively about that. So yeah, like as of like one a.m. last night, I was watching Twenty Four. That is amazing. <laughs> yeah, season two. It's the the thing with Twenty Four. Just FYI, is the seasons tend to be. It's like one, three, five, and seven are like good seasons, and then 
the even numbered seasons are like not so good. <laughs> Trash. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's a fun. It's like I'm not sure it ages that well in a lot of regards, but uh, it pioneered a lot of uh, a lot of television with the whole split screen format and um, a Zoom precursor. I was like, wait, is this just? <laughs> I was like, is this just a Zoom call? Like, what's going on here? It's a Zoom call, but with nukes. So. <laughs> basically with lots of nukes there is a nuke in like almost every season i'm like guys like you gotta like some like doom satellite like you can come up with like you know it's like a nuke in a suitcase nuke and you know yeah and it's just like it's the russians oh it's the chinese oh like when i don't know that Um, one that one's relevant right now but (laughs) but just uh Yo, growing up, that was like my bread and butter. But stuff like that, stuff like House, um, the 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 Doctor Show, like stuff that had this, uh, you know, brooding sort of complex um, male protagonist that was like not emotionally available, but was still revered by his peers, um, even though he was like emotionally flawed. Like that was he was respected, you know. And so that was I didn't have a brother growing up, and my dad. Uh, I'm Vietnamese, and so my dad was an immigrant. Um, he came during the Vietnam War, and you know, like I, I love my dad to death. Of my, I had a great upbringing, um, but you know, as in terms of growing up in a, a small town Texas, uh, trying to fit in and trying to be invited to stuff, and 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 um, you know, have the respect of people as a drill instructor and marching man. Like I didn't have a lot of archetypes to to build off of, other than. Um, TV characters. And so I think that was just how I uh, thought I should be in order to be respected. Um, and that, and so I'd never, no one taught me anything about the word vulnerability, let alone what it's like in practice. So uh, yeah, I think it's just, you go through and you just like, you wall yourself off against anything, you know, being sad or being, uh, unsure or anything like that you just kind of go full steam ahead and uh christina that was her um my life coach's name um she was like you know you just like you can't do that (laughs) (laughs) you 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 can't um not uh you know you can't not cry when you're upset or not um express your emotions or admit that you're um, scared or admit that you're, you know, unsure about something, uh, that, so she had me like do these exercises where I would go home and call like a, a close friend, for example, and, and be like, uh, and, and say, I, I just need to practice being vulnerable somehow. Can you help me? Wow. <laughs> and we just like have a conversation about like different things. And I, I did that. I had quite a few of those conversations and over time it's like, um, I was able to re- like, let my guard down. Um, and that actually ended up helping me a lot in my, uh, dating life as well until I met Selena who, uh, I live with now. So, wow. Yeah. I, for the record, I love Selena. She's a (laughs) wonderful human. Second, seconded. Yeah. I, I, I will third that. That's good. That's good. I'm very, I'm very happy to to hear that. I wanted to, what was something? Oh, else? I just wanted to. Oh, sorry. Go to, ahead, Trevor. It's ju- your turn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just to jump in. I mean, I I think it's it's one of those tides that at least is turning some the idea of vulnerability because I, I even Absolutely. even with my father, like if I was going to psycho unqualifiedly psychoanalyze, it's 
He's older generation. It's the South. His parents passed away when he was in his teens or his uh, father. And so it was kind of that passing down of just the masculine lineage, you know, manual labor job, then to management of Mm. the manual labor job, building things. And there's just no room for crying. And I think he ever, he doesn't like project masculinity or or like go out of his way to be an alpha but he's just a very like that archetypal masculine person and so no no fear was projected from that but it's kind of interesting i wonder i often wonder why at least it seems for us and maybe our generation that almost regardless of where we're coming from maybe each and every person has their own work to do to get to vulnerability, but it seems to not just be more, of course, acceptable, the playing field, but uh, more uh, men our age I've talked to uh, have, have are going through some journey to become more vulnerable because it's not something I've actively worked on with any coach or any any exercise, but I've I've cried more as an adult than I did as a kid. And maybe that's oh, yeah. just student loans. So. thousand percent. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's true. It, it fascinates me too, where uh, you'd think yeah. I, you'd, we'd get harder with life and kind of fulfill that uh, strong Iron Man role. Uh, but instead, I watch a, a cute little video, you know, someone sees color for the first time or hears for the first time and I lose it. It's It's over. <laughs> Totally. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a, it's a survival tactic, right? I mean, so much of what we do and who we are is, uh, is based on, you know, like what, um, the little evolutionary thing in our brains, like is telling us about when we were hunter gatherers, right. Or, Oh, you know, Oh, it's like why certain colors of, of food are, are more appealing is because they're, you know, they were nutrition, new nutritious to the people, uh, you know, to the hunter gatherers back then. Um, but yeah, I think it's totally uh, survival based of uh, wanting to not show weakness, right? Listening to both of you, um, it, it's so funny because I didn't really have a relationship with my dad that was very uh, emotionally safe. But I yeah. did have a relationship with a lot of women in my life, my grandma, my mom, especially. Mm. So I had a lot of feminine influence in my formative years. And so vulnerability has never been really difficult for me because that was what was nurtured in me. What I found, though, is that maybe when you're vulnerable and, and when I would go and interface with people at, outside of the house and I would be vulnerable, people would view that as weakness, Uh, And so I think that's what we're afraid of. But I've learned that it is more powerful to have the ability to be vulnerable and back it up with power to defend yourself should somebody think that you are somebody that can be taken advantage of. So I think that being able to turn on your warrior and turn it off is like very important. I think a great example of that would be uh, David Palmer from 24. Uh, the president, uh, as as far as up to season two, so no spoilers, anyone. I'm a decade behind, uh, at least. But uh, there's also something too. I think while yes, there's a lot of external factors. What you two would I'll probably also agree with is that you know internal factors are probably more powerful and are a bigger driving force. And I think, right. at least for me, it's coming to the realization that I. I believe like since crying is seen as like a symptom or reaction to pain, 
that in in our constant uh, drive to avoid pain, to avoid difficulty, to avoid suffering, yeah, by crying, it's 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 like acknowledging that that's happened. And if we're in such a state of pain yeah. avoidance in almost every aspect of our life, we don't want to cry because that means we are having pain. But of course, what does it do? It backfires. It builds up. It causes way more problems than just a simple cry could get out. Oh, for sure. Like it's just, uh, it just feels good after, (laughs) you know, it's, I would always, uh, it, it, at first it's, it's funny, you know, you, uh, uh, girl, girls in your, in your life growing up are like, yeah, you know, you just need to have a good cry. And it's like, I don't know when I was growing up, it was something that I kind of like, you know, it's like funny, haha, like Mm -hmm. that's something that women do whatever um but i it's i think it's 100 true it's like it's a just a natural release of um you know just emotions and then after you can you know your body ex- processes that then your mind can process whatever's at going on so you can have a much clearer way of thinking about it um and i mean i think you know a lot of uh, a a big sort of objection to vulnerability especially among men is like you know, what if, um, you know, isn't that obnoxious when, you know, people think about maybe like ap- apology videos on YouTube, <laughs> right? Or whatever, to just cry, but it's like uh, kind of insincere, right? And there's like ads every three minutes or whatever. Um, but, uh, you know, it's it's not about uh, the, the, the tears so much. It's about just letting yourself be yourself essentially and not um having to to be a a conception of what you think you're supposed to be you know in any given moment i think that um whether you're in uh i mean i think that's just good advice in general whether you are in business whether you're on stage performing whether you're um in a relationship i think there's a lot of cultural programming about what we're supposed to sound like what we're supposed to uh who we're supposed to write music like, um, what type of attractive archetype we're supposed to uh, exist as. But if being unashamedly ourselves in all of those regards, um, I think will put you miles ahead of the competition in whatever category you're trying to excel in. The thing that sold me on on uh, on, on sales and, and good persuasive copy, mm-hmm. it was actually the fact that I did better when I was clearer and when I was less salesy, when I was more salesy, I would go, I would show up and try to, you know, like impress with all these pizzazzy words and this whole like routine and it was Mm -hmm. inauthentic and people sensed that and they Mm -hmm. shut the door in my face. (laughs) But when I show, when I, yeah, I I have plenty of stories. (laughs) Um, But when I show up and I just talk to them like a real person, and uh, just convey my genuine, I did have genuine enthusiasm about the thing that I was offering them. Mm-hmm. It was keeping people safe, really resonated with me. Then people felt that from me and signed up for, like, it was crazy. They signed up for a 42-month contract to sign up with a company that they had never heard of 45 minutes ago to get monitored by, by an alarm system, you know? Um, and I genuinely thought that was a good investment for them. So I was able to convey that for them. Mm-hmm. And uh, they clearly thought the same, but just the absurdity of explaining that to another person, you, you know, like that's removed from the situation of, of listening to like my sales pitch and what have you. 
uh, that really like hit home for me. Like, A, uh, if you know how to be persuasive, you can make a good chunk of money. If you know, uh, if you can just be authentic with your words, that is a much better sales tactic than mm -hmm. trying to be something that you're not. One thing that I want to add, John. Yeah. Um, I, one, one thing, fake, faking fam, one thing that I look up to John the most and he's influenced me the most in is is the act of reading books knowledge <laughs> knowledge uh no for real like even through juilliard i remember always having stimulating conversations with you during our sunday donuts mm. which i think you should bring back bring and it make back. it a talk show series i think mm. you should do that um noted yeah, no, that that was always fire. Like just being able to be in that picture with those vegan donuts, bro, was a real cultural moment in Juilliard. <laughs> but one thing that I remember uh, and I've learned from our conversations and also from books that you've recommended to me <clears throat> is that there's this underlying theme of emotions. And when you want to make and emotions are so important for us to feel, to categorize, to be aware of, because many people think that being vulnerable makes you able to be manipulated. But what really makes you able to be manipulated is being unaware of your emotions, because when you make emotional decisions, you no mm. longer think logically. Yeah. And if people and there are people in this world that understand that and they will pull you by your emotions in a direction that you don't want to go. So if you aren't going to be accountable to yourself, if you're not going to cry when you need to, if you're not going to acknowledge when something hurts you and deal with that, it, yeah. it's like oh, it builds up behind a dam and all that pressure is just this sort of like bait for people yeah. to use against you. So I think that like, you know, being emotionally savvy, crying when you yeah. feel like it as often as you need to is a way to kind of relieve a lot of that stress that's being built up behind that dam. Yeah, 100%. Um, I think the more you know yourself, the less vulnerable you'll be to, like you said, you know, outside influences, um, which include, you know, like advertising, like these Instagram ads that, you know, are targeted based on with the algorithms of, you know, whatever, uh, um, for some reason, uh, l luggage keeps coming up in my, I don't know why they're really, they're really like splurging on the, uh, on the luggage thing, but they also know that I, uh, uh, I'm American, but, uh, live in Canada. So I don't know. Maybe they know that, but, um, <laughs> they're telling you to come yeah. back. <laughs> yeah. But that's, I mean, that's all of, you know, so much of what I do is, is, is writing persuasive copy and that so much of that is, um, figuring out, okay, what are people's pain points and how can reading what I write, uh, uh, uh absolve people of, of those pain points. Um, and if you, you know, a lot of advertising a lot of the way people make their money is through um even freaking uh i've been reading a lot about <laughs> multi-level marketing oh yeah uh, these days and you yeah. know the ways people recruit um recruit people for uh freaking herbalife freaking uh it works was a huge thing on my facebook these random raps that it's like i don't i don't even know but you it, none Kay. of it works but uh yeah yeah um it, all of that plays on to people's insecurities of, oh, I'm not, I haven't reached my dreams. I haven't um, built the life that I've wanted to build for myself after, you know, at 
22, at 25, at 35, whatever. Um, but this is a way for you to do that. This is a way for you to be a stay-at-home mom, but still find that sort of financial independence and, and personal uh, fulfillment. Like that, it's not, it's not, oh, no one's excited to, you know, oh, I'm going to build a business <laughs> selling somebody else's uh, protein powder. Like that, that in itself is not exciting. It's the fulfillment of uh, this long lost desire that you've had. Now, if you know that that's something that you have, like you don't have to quash every negative thing about yourself or, 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 or fix everything about yourself, but you just have to be aware of it. Like you said, Drew. Um, mm-hmm. And then once you're aware of it, uh, you can um, use it as a data point whenever you're feeling like, oh, I really want to buy this thing or I really want to join this, you know, <laughs> quote unquote group that may or may not be the- like. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, you, know, you know, I did multi-level marketing. You know, I did, right? Mm, with with what company? Vima. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, bro. What, what industry is that? That's the health industry. So it was like a healthy energy drink, mm. which tasted great, dude. I was like, this shit's awesome. Yeah. So I was sold on the product itself. But yeah, the business of building somebody else's product and selling somebody else's product, it didn't dawn on me that's just like making covers. It's not your intellectual property. You can't really make money on and it. Right. A, a big part of that too, that uh, like 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 us or you at this time, one thing I think about this too, we might look at <clears throat> particularly all of our vulnerable colleagues back in our like smaller hometowns, like they're the target market for a lot of these. It's people who, yeah, you know, might not, who haven't had as much opportunity, might be down on their luck or more vulnerable to or susceptible to these types of things because it's pain. They need a way out. And so something I have to remind myself too is like, well, I can look at that and balk at the ridiculousness of of falling for something of this also like that's there i'm i might not be susceptible to that type of targeting but they certainly are and so it's not like hey why are you doing this you big uh you know dummy and then me myself fall for like all this (laughs) other stupid stuff my favorite thing is everyone somehow thinks marketing doesn't work on them and yet it's like okay, my camera. I'm looking at an iPad. My Mac Mini's there. The Shure SM57, yep. the mic everyone uses, and Joe Rogan sells DMT on, and all these other things. Like everything about me has been given into by marketing. The marketing targeted for me, <laughs> and it's worked. Yeah, absolutely. What's but the I, recent I mean, moment that marketing worked on you, John? A recent moment that marketing worked on me. I mean, mm-hmm. just the uh, the fact with this uh, this microphone that I'm using right now is a product of um, seeing on YouTube. I've been uh, I, I like to consume a lot of uh, tech content, so news about tech, news about Apple, like whatever. Um, and uh, one and so in my YouTube algorithm, it was like starting a podcast with iPad Pro has um, has been. Uh, never been easier right and so i just click on it and it's like it talks about this microphone which is just you know a hundred dollars but it um does really well and they they demoed it and that sort of thing and that's a thing of marketing where oh wow this is in my price range when i've looked for microphones in the past they've all been like in the three hundred dollars or they've been made from some weird company and um, you know, we're a company in China, you know, the stuff that appears in your Amazon, uh, <laughs> when you search for something, they're like 
Deepak or like just like these random <laughs> names. There's like, is this gonna last more than three months? I'm not so sure. Um, but uh, no, this this is the uh, it's a Rode microphone for anyone curious. Shout um, out, shout out. Yeah, but uh, yeah, and it was you know the Rode sent this person this microphone. They didn't pay them to review it, but they sent them on the microphone to. To, to, to have YouTube content and that's a form of marketing, you know? Um, yeah. I, but I mean, you know, I also want to, would love to go back to Drew, what you said before about um, just, uh, you know, all the stuff that you've learned from reading. And if you're, there's anyone in that 22 year old, you know, like it, still figuring out life, I guess we're all still figuring out life, but a group, I mean, that's something I can't recommend enough is just to read more books. <laughs> books. <laughs> um, read, homie, yeah. read. Uh, I think, yeah. Read, the, homie, uh, read. Uh, uh, the uh, investor, Naval Ravikant, he, he talks about um, read what you love until you love to read. And I think that um, is probably some of the best advice anyone can can have. Because especially if you're you have any sort of proclivities into being um, a sort of having any sort of entrepreneurial, you know, whether it's a side hustle or your main hustle or whatever, um, mm-hmm. the more it, it can be really easy to be trapped, um, no matter what industry you're in, but music is certainly not exempt. Um, you can really be trapped in the bubble of um, going to school and, and, and figuring and think, oh, okay, what's important is getting better at my instrument. What's important is um, you know, the learning, you know, the stuff from my jury or learning this or learning that. Um, but it's only when you read books by people from, you know, industries totally outside, uh, uh, music that I learned a lot of different things about, you know, um, the, the way attention about marketing, about, you know, all sorts of different, um, things. And I, I think when you read about, uh, the world, you can start to understand it. And when you understand the world, you can understand some of the world's problems. And then when you understand the world's problems, you have solutions to those problems. And then you can use your knowledge and, and skill set that you've gained from both your experience and the knowledge that you've read from the books to solve those problems and make money by doing so. Um, I think it's really important and will set you miles ahead of uh, people that um, just stay industry specific. Uh, I think there's a huge difference in the people I talk to. Um, I would talk to at school. You could tell who was really just brought up in the conservatory track and wasn't curious at all about anything else in the world. And the people that were a little more uh, well-rounded, dare I say, like you gentlemen. Oh, oh, stop. Oh, well, now John that we got Hong. a quote, we need a uh, thank you, John. Uh, we had a great time. And uh, just, just, <laughs> <laughs> I'm adding that's my bio. I mean, one of the things that I think, of course, brought us together and why I still say you, John, as the catalyst uh, and inspiration is this drive for knowledge. It's something we've been talking about over and over and over on this podcast, all the books we've read or haven't read, but still quote, and (laughs) which is probably Mm. a majority on my end. My my copy of Infinite Jest remains one fifth. Don't you? You have more than one copy of Infinite Jest, right? 
for full irony. <laughs> they, I mean, that, I'm talking about the 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 the, the copy that is for oh, reading. Yeah. There's the decorative <laughs> copies that align. It's all over the top of my kitchen cabinets. It's just infinite. Jess, is it te- is it you know, is it books. a first edition or just an infinite edition? Like, how oh, it- I mean, you got to have all of them to actually round out the decorative, right? So I have every edition one through seven, and you know, some of them are upside down. Some of them are the Swedish <laughs> translation. Have you read this yet, John? I have not read Limitless, no. Bro, it's great. I don't think you need to, <laughs> but I'm learning so much from like how my brain works mm. to how to like get rid of this. I have a really bad I was reading last night and it like it unlocked something for me. And I apologize for the noise in the background. Trevor, I'm sure you'll take care of it in post. Oh, oh baby, I'm here for Sorry you. I'll take care advance. of it. My my roommate decided to vacuum because his lady friend is coming over. I didn't know about it. That's marketing. You'll be like, no, I'm clean. I'm a clean person. Yeah. There you go. Yes. Deceptive yeah. advertising, perhaps. <laughs> it's a pain point. Dirty well, floors. Clean. Pain point. Yeah. This book is really identifying one of my biggest problems that leads me to burnout and also leads me to stop making content. Yeah. And it's kind of like Stephen Pressfield's Art of War. It's like this idea of resistance. But the way it manifests in my head is like, I have this voice in my head, tells me I'm not good enough. Tells me, what do you mean? You're not, a, you don't know what you're talking about, dude. Right. You just play viola. Like, why are you out here trying to teach people? You don't even know how to play viola. I, I literally this is a negative feedback loop that I have in my head. Why are you posting this dude? You can't play this in tune. And so what he talks about is like, everybody has that that's normal. And what you need to do is reframe it uh, because that's the negative ego and the negative critic inside of you that has no power over you. If you just Mm -hmm. ignore it, or if you try to understand that that's the essence that will always work against you. Have you encountered that? I mean, uh, totally. I mean, that's something that I still, uh, I'm not sure that hopefully at some point you can reach a point in life where it all goes away and you can just effortlessly create content forever. Unfortunately, I am not that guest. I'm very much in in progress, uh, work in progress, but, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I do. I definitely have, you know, so I run this, uh, um, business doing, you know, branding for performing artists and, and specifically writing, um, you know, bios for, uh, for people. And, you know, I, I kind of exist in, uh, the more you learn and the more you do about, it's just like music, the more you learn about it and the more you do it, the more you see that you have to go, like the, the wider the chasm is between where you are now and your idea of perfection. Right. So that, it, it get it's actually gotten harder over time to um, feel like oh like is am I doing is what I'm doing like actually useful even though I've gotten much much better since then when I first um, started the business uh, it, it's actually harder to feel like I'm being useful because I understand now much more like oh my gosh like I oh I man for my last client I forgot to I, I didn't think about putting like this thing in or I could have worded you know this even even better um it so catching mistakes that I wouldn't have even caught you know previously when I first started but when I first started I was like oh man all these people's bios are not good and I <laughs> so they should pay me to do it and um yeah it's so yeah it definitely gets uh it gets harder over time but I I 
I think the most common, um, uh, one of the most enjoyable things to, to read for me is um, both memoirs and uh, biographies. So the, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, no one's a fan of Jeff Bezos right now, but I think reading his bio <laughs> is, is pretty instructive. Is it? Because um, he has a, the, the Everything Store, I think it's called by Brad Stone, um, Ashley Vance's biography on Elon Musk, um, the, uh, the uh, what's his name, the super biographers, I can't remember his name, but uh, on Steve Jobs, um, Waltz or something, right? But uh, all those, uh, all those, uh, um, it, it, it provides a really instructive uh, common thread of sort of success, which is not giving a fuck, frankly, about <laughs> another book, what, another how good you are, book. you know, doing respite, doing in spite of um, your own personal evaluation. Because if, in the end, none of us really know that much anyways. You know, we're all, we're all, uh, you know, Faking, it, right? We're all faking. faking we're faking <laughs> life. We're faking our jobs. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and you know, it's just a matter. Of, a lot of it's a matter of um, who who's just willing to to be out there, be vulnerable with the quality of their work, um, and by having it out in in public, and just put the uh, you know content out in the world and continue to try to improve it, but not letting your um, it, it's only through putting out a bunch of mediocre work that you can continue, that you can grow into something that's not. As Are mediocre. you subtweeting this podcast? I mean, it's, is, was that a sub? <laughs> I mean, no, I wasn't going to say it. I'm going to continue to not say if it. If only like uh, there was like a year of mediocrity, <laughs> just hours of mediocrity <laughs> in audio format. No, man, this released. This just for faking notes, listeners. This uh, podcast is uh, I have it on good authority from all the you know veteran podcasters in the industry. You know Tim Ferriss, Ezra Klein. They've all actually reviewed this podcast behind the scenes. It actually has nowhere to yeah. go. It's actually reached its peak of performance. So I, I think you guys can feel uh, feel. Joe Rogan said by, by about Bro, this we podcast. We got you here. Wow. <laughs> That's a thing. <laughs> Aliens. Um, yeah, man. So I just keep, you know, it's a it's a struggle for me every day. But um, just, you know, just keep, uh, whether it's, you know, you're playing your instrument or, or a, a totally new um, venture. I think it's just it, it, the more you're able to get over your, um, like you said, Drew, your ego and say, I'm going to, even if it's bad, I'm going to do it anyway. And even if it's still bad, I'm going to do it anyway. And, you know, getting zero likes and getting, you know, whatever form of feedback in the, the, the way you post of your choice, it's, it's not about the people that are receiving the content. It's about, um, uh, most, mostly it's not about them. It's more about you and finding your voice essentially. Wow. I hope you guys were listening. That was that was probably one of the most important things that's ever been said on this podcast. Like no no cap. Um I think that the life that I've built for myself which, you know, I'm very grateful for and I still want to do more, but it, it it actually is because of that. The life you've built for yourself, uh John, the life that you've built for yourself, Trevor, with your um your college uh tutoring the college admission tutoring business that you're building, you know, I think that doing it is like everything and then not being attached, detached from the outcome. Right. 
For sure. And I mean, I, it's like, it's the hardest part is launching by far, right? I mean, I'm, I, I imagine you guys can attest to that and anyone yeah. listening, it's like putting something new out in the world um, is very hard. Uh, <laughs> trying to, at least for me, launching my, uh, you know, a business where I improve uh, people's bios, usually something that they have sat at their own computer and thought about their own career and they know much more about their own career and like what um, to write. But it's actually like, no, I actually have something to contribute. And if you put it out there, there's a kind of a let the market decide um, type of uh, situation that I think putting it out there already, putting anything out into the world already puts you way, way, way ahead of, I would say, 90% plus of, of most people. And then putting two things out, putting three things out, et cetera, um, that puts you even more ahead, ahead of the game. Uh, I think the, uh, the there's the popular entrepreneurial phrase that you only have to be right once with uh, meaning like you only have to be right once with, you know, a, a, a really um, great idea and your ability to execute it. Um, and a lot of that uh, can only happen when you failed at seven other things, 10 other things. I mean, the guy that um, uh, I... Um, uh, worked with a uh, the creator of Piano in 21 Days, the online course, and uh, a few months ago. And, wow! Uh, the 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 talk that um, I did I I didn't not for um, it was for a, a summit that uh, we we hosted where we had him on as a, as a guest, not as a not as a marketing client to be clear. But <laughs> um, yeah, I mean the thing that he said in in his uh, sort of talk in our virtual conference was that he had failed at six other um, business ventures before being able to hop from his job as an engineer to running an online course teaching piano full time. And uh, recently uh, he, uh, I think he's at the time a while ago, about two months ago, he's made $1.7 million from his online course um, <coughs> in the course of you know six years. But so uh, yeah, it's literally we, like he shows we? up once a week on uh, Facebook Live for his uh, for the people that sign up. But it's like I think it's like a four hundred ninety five dollar course, and uh, they you know he uh, is in the two comma club as they say in this business. So we so I remember we were talking about doing a course. I think we yeah. should. Uh, I think we should restart restart that, that absolutely yeah, restart that. Bro. The infrastructure for courses now is so crazy. With um, there's so <sighs> many like Teachable and Gumroad, and there's like, you know, it's it's never been. Uh, I mean, I'm Drew. You talk. You were talking about this. You know, before it was cool. What back in the. Uh, Four, you know, in your four-digit follower days, and so your six-digit follower days. Whoa, what did I but, say? You, know, you were just talking about how it's never been easier to, uh, uh, you know, create content and be your own sort of um, media company or, or or anything like the ways that you uh, are able to make money. Um, they're definitely democratized. Is it easy? No, but I would say that it's relatively simple. Um, just mm. building. Uh, you have to commit to building an audience, be patient with your results, and then um, just continue iterating over time. And it, more often than not, uh, I find that good things um, happen. Damn. 
This is I'm I'm so glad that you're here, bro. Like I don't I don't know I don't know if you listen, but we've been trying. I don't faking fam. We've talked about John so much. He's he's probably our most <laughs> talked about person. I'm so flattered. So yeah, yeah. He's over delivering. <laughs> we undersold you, bro. Like I don't know. <laughs> Dude, I hope this is. I mean, this is a. I've always wanted to. This is a. Full disclosure and transparency. This is my first uh, uh, real podcast appearance. So I'm very, very honored to um, share this moment. And, and actually, that's part mm. of what we wanted at this outset. Drew and I talked about uh, who do we want to bring on, and it wasn't, hey, let's drag on our friends. It was, let's bring on interesting people, <laughs> particularly those who haven't mm. had or who don't typically get dragged onto podcast. Uh, right, in classical right, right. music, who gets brought on? The, maybe the occasional composer or a well-known performer or maybe a director of an institution. Uh, no one else. There's so many people who are doing interesting things uh, and interesting people who are going around. Absolutely. And just working either behind the scenes on these other elements. And so one of the things we've targeted uh, is you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what you funny <laughs> is these people who've gone out and it might be music related uh, or even or even less so, but people who are working behind the scenes doing other things that are going to move us as a community, as an art forward. And so I wanted – let's yeah. specifically talk about – because, of course, having you on here, this will be a 12-hour podcast – because we could we could talk for two hours about <laughs> vulnerability and crying, and then two hours about dating and coaching. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about your business. So yes. you settled in here, and sure. we could we can go through your bio. So uh, you know, maybe just give us a a brief summary of specifically what you're doing with people's bios, and you have the floor. Sure, man. Uh, so really, most people have, uh, I think, the wrong idea about bios in general. Um, mm. They say, uh, oh, how do I make myself seem the most impressive? And I think a lot of this is when we first tasked on writing our bios, it's in school, right? So, uh, I mean, some of our colleagues have definitely had plenty of experiences by the time they're 20, but uh, someone like me, I had to kind of put together, you know, different things and, and, and kind of shine them in their best light. Right. And so, but I think, you know, people are like, well, I don't really know who I am as an artist, but I know what I've done. And it's just kind of a list of accomplishments basically. Um, but as people progress, uh, in their careers, um, they start to form a little bit more of an identity as an artist on uh, the types of projects that they do, the types of projects they don't do. Um, they, uh, you can start to define them a little bit more, but they're still trapped in this idea of, oh, I have to be the most impressive person or I have to, you know, list all my accomplishments here and my press quotes on top from the New York Times, even though I'm barely mentioned, <laughs> but I'm going to like twist and turn into, into a pretzel so that it looks like I'm like, you know, the greatest artist of my generation. A lot of people say that. A lot of people are an avid chamber musician. You know, a lot of people fall back on these mm -hmm. cliches that um, say, uh, I would say almost less than nothing about who they are and why me as an audience member, me as a potential, um, even Patreon supporter or as, you know, as any presenter, whatever should, um, uh, should hire you or way that I could, uh, uh, sell you, you know, cause I'm thinking of this as I, I was, a 
lead copywriter at National Sawdust. And a lot of what I did was I would take artist bios and I'd have to figure out, okay, what kind of event description uh, works for the type of show that they want to do here and um, who they are as an artist. And a lot of people, they don't list what they do in the first paragraph of their, uh, of their, you know, um, uh, bio. It's they. I don't know. Are they a singer? Are they a percussionist? Are they? Like, you know, it's just like a kind of a grand, you know, flowy statement with a lot of adjectives. Um, so I have kind of gained a lot of knowledge about what is needed from the presented presenting side, and I've combined that fr- with my ideas of um, with my experience being a uh, performer, classical classical clarinetist. Um, and I use both of those expertise together to uh, rewrite people's bio so that it, you can read it and they, it will be memorable and people will understand. You can read it and understand, oh, after paragraph one, like this is who they are. This is why they're different from everybody else. Um, this is why I should follow them. And does that mean removing accomplishments entirely? Of course not. But it does mean uh, knowing which ones to put where, what stuff to leave out, um, and what stuff to, to include. And then a lot of it as well is just, uh, I have, um, a decent amount of experience writing in general and, um, you know, a lot of people are not trained writers. And so uh, their, their bios kind of reflect that and don't necessarily show them in the best light. So I, uh, so packaging all that stuff into a way that does shine it in their best light is um, really important to me. And it's what I've built uh, my business around. If you're stuck at this part, like, Oh, like what should my first sentence be? It's really easy to just be like, John Hong is a clarinetist period. Mm-hmm. People are like, Oh, that's boring. It doesn't distinguish me. It's clear. Yeah. And clarity wins so, 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 so much of the time, especially over trying too hard <laughs> and being uh, just really long-winded thing. If you're not being clear, right, mm-hmm. in your first thing, that's going to kill you immediately. If someone's going to your bio and like, oh, they're, I'm confused mm-hmm. about what this person does, yep. um, they're just going to, they're going to check out. And in mm-hmm. the real, you know, some of you may be watching as a student or as somebody that is not, has not really thrown themselves into really trying to market um, themselves or their ensemble or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the, the real wor- world works in your ability to grab a random person's attention for yep. the first, you know, the first second of them reading should convince them to read for three seconds. The, the first three seconds of them reading should convince them to read for the next 10 seconds. And if you can get 10 seconds to go to 30 seconds and then it's like, oh, now they're invested. That's yes. because they're invested in who, in who you are. Just even to draw a point to that. So you've, you've gone in, you realized there was a problem and a need. So it's not just uh, where, oh, like there's a lot of bios, program notes, uh, materials coming my way. You're putting on a ton of concerts. You need a ton of copywriting and working and editing with National Sawdust for just the volume. But most people coming in, mm. they don't have managers. They haven't had someone else written that. There are a lot of classical musicians. It was Correct. them tackling. So you kind of saw both a need and it, that need is something that you could f- fulfill with something that interests you. So it's kind of like it checked uh, two boxes and you've since turned it into a service and something we can of course do and encourage for everyone else is that while we've all read, we all read a lot of books, we all have a lot of knowledge, like yes, uh, who knows how much of what we all know is unique. It's We're, we're learning from 
the community from our sheer existence. But everyone out there, there's probably the culmination of your knowledge is unique. It, it, it might You might Absolutely. not feel too confident jumping out writing a marketing book, but you might be the one person who is a master chess player who has also done copywriting. And maybe that's something like th there is a uniqueness. It, the uniqueness is in the culmination of yourself, your experience and your knowledge. And so something I think you've done is that you have both a lot of experience and a lot of knowledge. So you have a fairly unique uh, gift and offer to to hand out to. So it's it's neat that not only have you been educating people on the art of biomaking and working with them, but I think one of the things that's nice about yours is that you will also in turn do it for them for a price because for some people this is such a big painful point you know your bio is yourself mm. it's coming into terms with your your fears and accepting the reality of yourself uh oh i have i'm almost 30 i haven't quite accomplished everything i needed to do i'm scared mm. i'm not going to write my bio or maybe i need to fluff this up or maybe hey i've actually done a lot of great things but you you're both you can both teach people work with them to kind of overcome that fear, their pain point, and you can really help them through it uh, by providing that for them so that maybe they can be free to do other things, just like any other service. Absolutely. I mean, I think it, a lot of people after working with me, they're like, wow, I never saw myself that way. <laughs> and it's like they read the new bio and <laughs> and, and, and uh, they, they're looking at themselves as in their careers in a whole new different way. And I think that is because um, you know, they've never thought about thinking, both writing about themselves, but also they haven't thought about um, thinking about themselves in any other way than, oh, do I have X accomplishment? Have I performed at, you know, have I been booked at Carnegie Hall yet? Have I been, you know, uh, played in this many uh, um, prestigious venues yet or with this conductor or, 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 or whatever? And that's not, I mean, I think that's... It's, years of, of music school and the types of people that are respected in music school and the types of people that are not. And I think we, we get this warped sense of what it means to be a, a, a successful artist. But being a successful artist is not like that at all. I mean, so many people that sell out, you know, sold out, um, you know, $79 tickets in National Sawdust were not the types of people that had played, you know, at Carnegie Hall, but they were the types that built a devoted audience who really appreciated everything that they put out and why did they you know appreciate you know everything that the the artists put out it's because they have they took the time to build an audience and to build an audience you have to have a, a firm sense of of who you are so this is going back to the vulnerability thing but it's like who are you who are you not and how can i lean into who i am and what i have uniquely to offer that other people just can't. Um, and uh, that can really, really shape um, who, the way that you take your career and also be your fuel for taking your career um, to the next level and the next and the next. I love what you said when you were speaking with Noniko <clears throat> because you said that it's less about, and you said this earlier too, it's less about like listing all your accomplishments, but it's more about how do you endear people to the human you are and how do you tell the stories about you and what is so great about your service having been somebody who has used it and i'm gonna mm. hire you again because i have a lot more stuff we need to add bro. <laughs> yeah man but, <laughs> world renowned but like um bro not yet 
what what I think is is really important is like how do you tell the story about yourself? And it's like what you said when it, you live yourself, it's hard to tell your story in a way that is real because it's also like it feels weird to brag, right? It yeah. feels weird. We've been we've been um kind of programmed to be a to have an aversion to that, but there's a value to hiring somebody else that can sit outside of yourself and see Absolutely. you. And the things that you do, and that's also a lot of the value of what your service does is it like takes, it, it removes that burden of like having to really look at yourself and try to like figure out how do you make yourself dope, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll be the first one to say that writing your own, my writing my own bio and making changes to it is way, 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 way harder <laughs> than doing it for somebody else, you know, because I have so much more context, uh, the, the, uh, signal can get lost in, in the noise, right. Where you have, oh man, is this a big deal or, or not a big deal? And like, what is, if it is a big deal, like, does that mean I have to put it at the front or do I put it? So there's all these questions, like when you actually sit down to write your own bio that can really, um, be intimidating and, and, and fog up stuff. Uh, I think to the point where people just get frustrated and then just slap down whatever comes to mind so they can be through with it and then think, oh, it's like, you know, not that important anyway or whatever, but having a bio is really important because it's, um, what's going to be on your website website and what's on your website is the first thing that people that have any sort of interest in you, whether it's somebody in a concert that you're doing, um, that, uh, in the audience that, uh, is like, Oh yeah, that, you know, drew Ford seems interesting. I wonder what's on him online. Uh, they go to <laughs> whatever website you have up and, um, go read your bio. And if it's not very good, then that's the only page that they'll visit and that's the only time they'll think about you. Um, but if it is really good and can pique their interest, that is what the kind of thing that leads to, oh, well, maybe, you know, I can hire him for this or maybe I should follow him on on, on social media or whatever. Um, and that's the kind of stuff that leads to further opportunities down the road. I mean, just even just me putting that, oh, I've been, uh, uh, you know, a paid speaker at Juilliard and, and continues to speak, blah, blah, blah. And like, I put that in my bio very purposefully so that I could manifest more speaking opportunities down I, the road. I read that in your bio and, today and I was like, oh mm. shit, I need to put that in my bio. <laughs> I need to put that? A hundred percent. And what was I the keynote speaker at, you know, at uh, commencement or whatever? Uh, definitely not. Not yet. But I did speak to students at Juilliard and I did, um, you know, get paid by the school to do that. So it's like, is that dishonest? I honestly don't think so. I think that's, um, it's just a matter of being unafraid to put what you've actually done in frank sort of terms. Um, and you know, if, if anyone is looking for, okay, well maybe I want to just improve my bio, but I don't want to, you know, hire somebody to do it. Um, the easiest way is to try to write your bio without saying anything uh, good about yourself, hmm. meaning uh, not to uh, to basically remove any adjectives of 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 positivity of like a oh, world renowned like you're saying Trevor <laughs> or uh, you know the uh, uh, again greatest artist of a generation like anything like that to take out and then just start with let the accomplishments let the venues let how many uh, a, a go-to of mine is how many uh, states someone might have performed in um, and if you go back in your in your in your history uh, by the time that you've uh, 
um, you know, graduated school even, um, it might be more than, than you think, you know, even just playing in, um, you know, three U.S. states or, or maybe you did a festival in like me, I did a festival in Canada or, or um, that's like, you know, I can do across North America instead of across the United States, that sort of thing. Um, just being able to package that in, in a better light, that means, oh, okay, now, uh, now uh, I'm able to show the scope of my career as an artist without having to resort to qualitative statements, um, like known for his illustrious tone or whatever, um, because that's you're not known for your illustrious tone unless you have quotes from preferably multiple journalists or critics uh, talking about your tone. Then, OK, yeah, then you can put that. But um, otherwise, if you are able to stick to the to the um, facts and then just let it uh, and then focus on, oh, what do you want to do as an artist and then combine those things together? Usually it ends up a more compelling bio than someone that's trying to talk themselves up a bunch. Like just circling back even to the the story element, I think one of the hard parts, too, is that for when we talk about movies and stories and books all the time and narratives (laughs) and yada, 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 yada. But the easiest thing for a lot of these writers, too, and when you're writing of a story, because we consume so many stories and so much media, uh, you know, so much of our history as humans is about stories and storytelling. The hardest part with our bio, at least for me, is that we don't know the ending to the story. We're in the middle of the story. Mm. So when I'm watching 24, you know, I'm on the lookout. Like they planted, they, they specifically spent time showing someone grabbing that that item or that, you know, future red herring or a MacGuffin or whatever. Like they, they, if they spent time shooting it, it's going to have some significance like that person, that framing. And the hard part with us is we don't quite yet know until the story ends. Unfortunately, uh, we don't quite know what is significant. Like what is that plot twist? What was that element played? So at least for me, that's, one of the things that just makes it so difficult is just being able to frame it. But to your point, there's so many stories. We only have so many types of narratives. There's so many, only so many types of arcs, and we're all retelling these different stories in different ways. Even something like Treasure Island or Romeo and Juliet. How many times has that been told? And even specifically down right. to the words, but they are very successful movies and performances of Romeo and Juliet, yeah. and they're very unsuccessful performances of the same exact material. It's all on how you present it and you frame it. Uh, don't drink the poison. Doesn't work out. Uh, plot twist. <laughs> but something you you said too, and I won't... Spoilers. Uh, Drew can, Spoilers for Drew the audience segue. out yeah. there. Sorry. No. Sorry. No, 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 no. I was trying to tell a joke, but I realized there's delay. Uh, oh, is it, oh, is it... I wonder if it's a, it's a Bluetooth thing or... No, no, it was just like I thought of a joke, but... <laughs> added to delay it just interrupted you sorry you said zoom like podcast. don't drink the poison gotta love it zoom podcast you said drink the poison i was like that's a spoiler what about people who haven't read romeo and juliet you dick <laughs> it's like wait a minute but one of the things you said uh, john and i want you to piggyback off this uh also in that um i want to get the title right the copywriting principles for musicians interview which you which are the clips you will have heard throughout this podcast is trust and like the, drew has trust with his audience you now have trust with the people who you work with and your audience john and like like oh i guess one of the 
ways with vulnerability is it can build that trust because you're opening people up to your realities, talking about your failures openly, talking about what worked, what hasn't worked, uh, exposing your problems. It builds a sense of trust. Uh, I don't know if you want to piggyback off that, Drew. Yeah, bro. Um, I think, well, it goes back to the network marketing that experience that I have. And they have a lot of sayings, mm-hmm. you know, because because I remember you when you were speaking with Noniko, and I don't know if you'll add any of that audio, Trevor, yeah. but when you were talking about your sales experience and how authenticity always sold better than the pitch, one thing that I learned while doing so uh, doing MLM was that people don't care what you know until they know that you care. Uh, and this circles back to you identifying pain points in people's lives and then presenting a solution. And so when I was building my audience uh, before Juilliard, during Juilliard, a little bit after Juilliard, I was because I was putting content out there, people were telling me point blank their pain points. I would post a video. People would be like, I can't vibrato like that. And I was like, oh, maybe maybe I should do a video on vibrato. And it's like one of my most watched videos, right? So what are some things that you have done or are thinking about doing that can solve people's pain points uh, in there? Or what are some things that you've noticed in people's bios that, uh, that they can like solve other than just like the wording and stuff? I mean, you know, that's a great question. Um, uh, I, I mean, I think I would just go back to uh, the fact that a lot of people really are just approaching the bio the wrong way. Um, mm-hmm. They're approaching it with the idea that they have to prove themselves to the reader mm. um, via the, most of the times their accomplishments. And they just have to explain themselves to the, to the reader. Um, mm. I think just if you are able to back up and sort of start from, from, from scratch in that way, um, it's, you know, like the, 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 the reader, they can, they can pay attention to any number of, of artists, right? They're not, no, very rarely do, um, does an audience member, does a a fan, does a patron, uh, get into an artist because of what how many times they've played at Carnegie <laughs> Hall or how many times they like they've 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 done this or or some New York Times review even um they do it because of uh the the um the the voice of the the artist i mean and of course the actual voice in some cases but i'm talking about the literary voice the um personality of the artist and if you're not um giving room in your bio to show that personality or to show, um, that, uh, you know, just like what are your dreams? I mean, Trevor, you talked about, uh, the idea that, oh, we don't know what's at the end of our you know story. So how can we know what's important, but we know what, uh, is important to us now in the present and what we hope to, um, you know, continue doing through the future, maybe what work we want to do more of, maybe what work we want to do less of. And I think those are the types of things that you can really tailor your um, current bio to in order to um, uh, make it more interesting, make it more personal to the, to the reader, um, and then ultimately say more about you as an artist and make you more memorable than, um, you know, just uh, a, a fancy New York Times quote and, and stuff about 
that you think uh, people would put on a successful jury comments sheet um, instead of, uh, of, you know, what's going to make somebody buy into you and donate to your Kickstarter and um, follow you on Instagram, whatever. It sounds like you want your bio to kind of work for your future, not just represent your past. And I think maybe that's my, my own thoughts is it's like, oh, how do I catalog all the awesome things I've done and make my past self look awesome? When by me just reading with without even hearing you or listening to your interviews or knowing you for several years, just looking at your bio right now to just as an example, on your current state on your website, it looks like it is future, it is forward looking. I want to read that bio and mm. I'm thinking not about the things you've done, but about the things I want you to do. Like donuts on Sundays. Oh, <laughs> yes. Every Sorry, Sunday. Drew. I love I love that. Trevor, that was really huge. That was a really good astute observation. And I, I actually, when I consult people on social media, uh, I do social media consultations. Now it's a burgeoning business for me and mm. I'm really excited uh, about it. And so that's something I want to add to my bio. But uh, it's kind of like what I tell my clients uh, that want to build their brands online. You have to show things that you want to do. So if you want to do more recording work, you have to post clips of you recording. Like, because there's this weird disconnect. And you saying that, like, the, the bio should reflect the work that you want to do more of. When you said that, I was like, oh, whoa yeah that's it because it's like perceptions everything and if people can see that you do the thing not just on your social media but also in your bio it's like it makes it much easier for them to hire you yeah 100 percent. and i think that uh uh, often that comes at the expense of other accomplishments that may seem better it may be that you you know got the Carnegie Hall performance when you were 16 or whatever, but maybe that was because you, it was just like a random competition you entered, or maybe it was like a, um, I know I'm thinking of colleagues at at Juilliard who have that listed prominently in their bio, but it was really like, (laughs) like a semi pay to play situation or I'm not going to name names, but the, uh, (laughs) majority, everybody does it too. That's everybody. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not, uh, so you can even you either shorten that sentence or even take it out entirely if you want if instead you're replacing it with uh, now i do this even if the thing that you do now is a lot has a lot less body of work if than um your past as maybe a classical player or or whatever um if you're trying to go a different direction and you have this whole body of work as a cla- as a classical musician and uh th- accomplishments from that realm, no matter how prestigious, are not going to matter to the audiences that you want to get this bio in front of, which is maybe in a different, you know, alternative music industry or speaking or social media consulting or whatever. Um, It's all about retooling to the person that you think um, is you would most want reading it. Hmm. That's bars. So in, in short, Hire John to fix your <laughs> motherfucking bio, bro. It's time. Yeah, reach out. I'd love it's to uh, collaborate with. Uh, it's like, it's like faking an hour thing. of pro- hour of propaganda. Could you talk specifically <laughs> about? Or we're just like subtly. We're having a conversation about anything, and uh, okay, you know, bio, get your bio, get your bio. Right I'm just gonna insert subliminal, yeah, yeah, subliminal, messages. subliminal messages. Bio, bio, bio. John, 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 <laughs> Very bio. subliminal. But, could you would you specifically describe like the process of what you do? Are 
are you working with them to write? Are you are you doing all the work? Are you kind of like half teaching them how to do it, back and forth? What what is your your offering? Yeah, I mean, I think technically I have uh, sort of two different types of offerings. There's like uh, two different price points, right? So my first one is where I just take um, both of which involve me essentially um, rewriting the, the 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 bio for them. So either I take what they have already. And without any new information, basically just restructure everything so that it's formatted well. Um, but though, very rarely do I do that. Surprisingly, I actually end up doing the the, the more expensive option, which is um, I do sort of a deep um, research on them on the internet to see. Uh, a lot of people miss really good press quotes or really good things that are said about them on the internet somehow. Um, it's kind of amazing to me. But uh, a, a lot of uh, some of the best quotes of, uh, you know, from uh, a, a great magazine or whatever are not reflected in a, a client's bio. But uh, even more than that, I, I usually send them a... Um, uh, a questionnaire on um, I just it's just a Google form and it just ask them questions like you know how do you see yourself as a musician at this point in time um, what is uh, what special thing do you offer as a musician that uh, other people don't um, what do you just and just like you know what do you most want to improve about your current bio and then I have them upload like their resume and and, and whatever else and they, uh, uh, and from that, I'm able to uh, sort of craft like, oh, okay, they really want um, their, they, they do a lot of uh, research on, you know, early music or something like that, but that's not reflected at all in, in, in what they do. So uh, I, that it's from those sorts of points of, okay, what do they want to say about themselves and what are they saying about themselves right now? Cause a lot of people, um, some people don't have any bios at all, but a lot of people do have them. Um, and what are, what is that person saying, um, now and then how can i improve that so that it aligns more with their vision and then we just go through google docs and we uh, i kind of give them a first uh, draft of what i've come up with and then they usually have a few tweaks here or there um, and so we then we just keep editing until it's finished and then they have a full version and a, a 250 word version and 125 word version um, and so that way they can just have a great bio ready whenever a presenter calls instead of what most people do, which is, oh, I need a new bio. I haven't updated this in two years. And they either send the crappy bio or uh, slap something together without a whole bunch of thought. Um, but the bio is actually sneaky important. So yeah, that's sort of the process that, that I take uh, my clients through. Personal testimonial. Your bio I, I guarantee that a lot of the respect I've gained in the past year or two has been directly proportional to the bio that you gave me uh, and that we worked together we worked Cheers, together man. on. No, for real, man, because like the way you worded it makes me sound like a badass, <laughs> dude. But see, I think what's really hard to do is if you are a person that lives at you as you, you wipe your yeah. own ass. So yep. like, it's really, Hopefully. you see, you, you, you fight those negative, what we were talking about before, those neg, that negative ego inside of your head. You have a positive ego, you have a negative ego. And oftentimes because of the way our biology is set up, like you said, we pay attention to negativity way more. And so it's hard. It's so cloudy, but because you were able to synthesize what the internet has been saying about me 
and the things that I've done, because many of us who are entrepreneurs, we put our heads down. We don't really pay attention to what we're doing. We just move on to the next project. You're able to synthesize that. And then people eventually, like Juilliard, which, you know, doesn't really, you know, <laughs> we could have a whole their, their pod. Alumni. We have a multi-podcast series. We'll bring you back. We'll, we'll have a, we'll have a talk. We'll, Amen, have, we'll have a public talk. But, you know, I'm not trying to burn no bridges. But, yeah, like the fact that they reached out to me to go back and talk I, blows my mind. Mm. Blows my mind, bro. So and I, I know it is because directly because of the work that you do. So if you guys out there are really serious about changing your bios, John is right. I with my clients, the, they send me their websites. I've read so many either non-existent bios or crappy bios that was like, I don't even know where to start to help you. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so this is a really good, this is more essential than I think people realize. It's good headshots and a good bio. Mm. If you can't nail that, your digital space is wasted. It's the first thing people see. Uh, You open the program, they're like, who is this? There's that little headshot and then it's the bio. And for composers, we, we, we'll talk about your program notes later, but, but reach out. Like, do not describe the theory of the piece. We'll, we'll talk later. Um, <laughs> but, you know, be compelling. I think, again, you know, to kind of culminate about all of this, you know, like getting comfortable with yourself, vulnerable with yourself in order to get that bio out. And that also of how important it is. The, you could, you'll read the program. Uh, I don't, but most people read the program before. The, that's because I've already talked about this. Good I don't like push. composers to lie to me. I don't want to know their program notes before I hear the piece, but that's just, a, that's a choice. Yep, yep. Uh, but I will read that's everyone's fair. bio and everyone's program note. I take the programs home with me and I look through them. And that that is your introduction mm. to them. Before they've even heard or seen your craft, they are coming in there with an impression. And that's something that you have control over. You have control over that photo. You have control over that bio. You control the narrative. So, you know, take matters in your own hand. It's important. It's just as important as that performance you're about to give. So, like, why not frame yourself in the best light? I I think one of the most formative um, uh, sort of stories or uh, studies, rather, um, that has been, um, that that has really lasted with me a long time is uh, there's this famous study about, uh, they they took um, a group of performers from the Tchaikovsky competition and a group of videos from that competition, and they presented uh, the finalists to um, three groups of people. Uh, one who, um, not sorry, not three groups, two groups of people, professional musicians and total amateurs. And they had them rank the, uh, the, the, the finalists um, by watching three different categories. One, um, the video and the audio. One, just the audio. And then one, just the video. Mm-hmm. And so what do you guys think was the most uh, how did they get it the most accurate by watching the video and the audio or listening only or watching? I've only? read this and heard you talk about this. So I'm going to abstain. <laughs> Fair. Uh, I, I, I have no idea. So <laughs> yeah. So they, uh, believe it or not, uh, um, on, by watching the video without listening, they were both the professional musicians and the amateurs most accurately ranked all of, uh, the, the these, performers at the Tchaikovsky competition, which 
you is obviously extremely <laughs> counterintuitive because it's a music comp- competition, which is about audio, right? But there's something about how uh, we perceive uh, an experience. Like what? So what you're supposed to quote unquote supposed to get from that is like oh like being um, you know looking good is just as important part of being in the performance as sounding good, if not m- more so. Uh, what I have actually taken from that is that an audience's perception of you matters much more than what you're actually putting out. And that's a theme that we've already talked about in this podcast, but I think that that trickles down not only to visual appearance on stage, but all of the things that you do for them leading up to the um, moment that you step on stage, whether that's in the the care that you put in your social media posts blasting the blasting the performance or the type of experience people have walking through uh, walking through the doors um, all of that shapes what they think that you sound like and what they the experience that they have how positive it is or how not positive it is um, so I think my part of that ecosystem and I've and I've also uh, expanded a little bit into more broader uh, sort of like communications like like Twitter accounts, brand management, that sort of thing. Um, but it just how you are perceived before you start performing can really give you a massive leg up. And even like if you're not if you're not sounding your best, like people will still feel like their lives changed after just experiencing you. Or it can really handicap you to the point where if people if your bio is, you know, sloppy and people are pointing out like you included some sleazy accomplishment or <laughs> like oh or Heather's even misspellings or that um you know it's full of all these cliches then you might step on stage and give the performance of your life but people might unfortunately people are going to you know maybe not uh share that opinion of your performance so all this stuff is um I mean I'm not just you know hawking my service I think all this stuff is super super important mm-hmm. um to uh sort of what to think about when you're planning your career. Wow. That's, that's great. That kind of reminds me picking piggybacking off that idea of perception is really important. What we do as performers is, you know, I, I listen to a lot of comedians these mm. days. Um, Cause I find comedians are some of the best communicators of ideas. Yep. And so one, one comedian I listen to is Joe Rogan and he talks about comedy being like an act of hypnosis, right? Like where you you kind of allow people, you open their minds so you can think for them. And I wonder if there's a parallel with music in that the whole package of the bio, the whole package of how you groom yourself, how you dress yourself, and then how you sound is kind of a hypnosis. And maybe Absolutely. this study of like just watching the video, it's like, is it a visual experience? And so- one thing personally that I've encountered in my life is that people have always said I like, they've always made fun of the faces that I make when I play my music. They've always said I move too much. They've always said that it could be distracting. But I've also on the other side found that people who aren't classically trained and people who don't, they find that the most fascinating part about my playing is that is how I play it, not just the fact that I play it. So that that's really interesting that insight is is very powerful 
Yeah, I think it's, you know, people, I mean, sometimes there are, uh, I guess, legitimate criticisms for, you know, moving or, or whatever, if it's, uh, you know, maybe you're in a chamber group or something and you're moving much more than the other people. But in general, I think, um, yeah, stuff like, you know, quote unquote, distracting from the music, I think um, people, I don't always trust people's opinions on that, that uh, are from a different, uh, let's say, uh, generation or from a different um, uh, way of thinking about, uh, you know, how, what role classical music can can, can serve in, in society. Um, yeah. So I think that I, that when you say that, you know, you've been criticized for moving um, by, you know, quote unquote, elite people, <laughs> professors or your, our peers or whatever. But, um, you know, the average everyday person on Instagram is like, man, that's so cool. It's so interesting. Like, blah, blah, blah. Um, I think that, uh, honestly, I think and that says it all. there is something to be said about like, yeah, like just looking at Drew's videos is that, you know, it's like, is the target audience, a uh, like a jury room of Juilliard violist? No, and like often that's not what we want. <laughs> we would have very short careers uh, if if our target audiences were only our peers doing exactly what we want. And I just have so Correct. there's so many firsthand accounts of when I I just try to bring people to even the weirdest new music concerts uh, who are not musicians uh, by any by any accounts and just they go in there or even just music appreciators and general classical music and I bring them to these things mm-hmm. and I just I know I. I used to preface them like, "Hey, so what you're about to see, it's gonna get, it's gonna get a little weird, you know. Like you're gonna have to watch out." And I actually stopped doing that because I was setting up people for like negative connotations from the outset. And very often than not, I'd bring in like, mm. for instance, poor Amy. I I drag her to all these new music concerts <laughs> and and I just sit back and see how she'd react. Can't imagine. And more often than not, the piece yeah. I hated or that I thought was just some gobbledygook thing or whatever wasn't super into that might have been her favorite it might have been the weirdest piece out there and often it was because of the performance the whole package maybe there was lighting or the person was moving around with an ewe and like manipulating the computer and all these sounds and i'm like eh, it sounded kind of you know not really well thought out a little lazy and she was just like blown away and it had been the weirdest thing and so my per my i didn't want i don't want to infect people with my perception of the performance but for instance with drew you know thinking of his his audience they love getting invited into your home your personal space it feels intimate they love seeing you walk back from the camera and talk to them before you're playing the faces the movements it feels so much more personal is yes. that effective yeah, i only did that like, once. like just seeing that recent you, did you yeah, like it, that? it feels personal it's like oh this is happening this isn't a pre-record of of some concert in some hall uh and but it's understanding, like that's the image that you you present. I'm gonna do more. Yeah, of that it feels thing, personal. Bro. It feels Thank personal. You. And then if that's what you want, that trust Thank of that you. audience, that personality, that's what, and I'm that like, vulnerability, yeah. that's what you're doing, and that's what you're projecting. And I think that's what builds into it. When we see all these Instagrammers, the biggest benefit is that more often than not, it feels in the moment. It feels welcoming into the home. It's not uh, a pre-recorded event even though if it is even though it very much could be that's not that's not a, a fault but there's something more personal about it being in that room group muses whatever you want to do that projects what you're yeah. going for if you want 
that Carnegie Hall perception, you know, top tier artistry, you know, like you, you probably want to try to frame yourself. One, you should get to practicing. And two, you should really frame yourself as Mm. (laughs) that person if that's really what you want. But more often than not, uh, that's not what you want. And that might not be the audience you want to, to be a part of. So it's kind of, I guess, like with your body and your, your, your art as a total package, they're buying into the artist. Not every Beyonce song is amazing. Now that we're canceled, I'll continue. Not every song is, yeah. But no, some, of course, a lot of that music is just like fucking dope. But they're buying into the whole performance. The artist, we love Beyonce. She's powerful at what she says, what she stands for, who she fights for, Mm. the videos, everything. You want the package. It's not just, oh, is every song amazing? No, no artist has every amazing song. But we trust in the artist not just trusting them in the music. So that's what we expect of the artist we follow. How could we expect something else from our own audiences? Exactly. And I don't think we, uh, it, it's not some level of, oh, I'm not important. Like I'm, once this happens, then I'm important <laughs> enough to, to, to shift to that sort of approach. It's like anybody, I mean, I just worked with somebody who's, uh, you know, he's still mm-hmm. a student. But, um, you know, yeah, even, even then you can shift, uh, from, uh, just listing that if they've played and and, uh, they went to these schools and and played in these competitions or whatever into a more, uh, just like what they're, um, in this case, this guy was, um, you know, more passionate about like really intimate, um, chamber music, which I think it sometimes that's all you know about yourself at that stage when you're in school and yeah. uh you know retooling about oh, what he's done around chamber music and oh yeah you've played uh you know you've done this the series and in, in, in a hospital i think that's really interesting we can flesh that out more and not talk about this other stuff you know as much maybe just put it in the last paragraph and as a, sort of an informational thing um and then uh, you know he was shocked but he's uh also really pleased i would say um with uh just being able to say oh okay i can make myself more like a chamber first musician not just try to pretend that i'm good at everything because i think i think that's a huge thing in most bios that we read is like oh they're a chamber musician and they're an educator <laughs> and they're you know an owner of this nonprofit, and they're you know and it's like well sure you made technically do all of those things, but it's, I highly doubt that you're equally interested in all of them, let alone equally proficient in all of those things. So it, having a tighter focus, um, in a, a bio or in, in anything really is, uh, tends to be much more effective than trying to be king of all, you know, cities or I just made that up. <laughs> Sounds dope. That dude, no, um, no. Look, dude, Matt, Jack of all trades, master of none. John mm. Hong, ladies and gentlemen, faking fam. Go follow John Hong. Where can people find you, bro? Yeah, I'm mostly just active on Twitter. Um, you should find me there, at John Hong, uh, at John underscore Hong. Um, and uh, other, yeah, other than that. And that's um, how people reach out to you, just shoot you a DM and that's Yeah, shoot me a DM on Twitter. You can go to my website, johnhong.me, um, where there's a contact info there as well. Um, you can read more about uh, my bio ghostwriting service. Um, Links in the oh, description. Yeah. So this is thanks a pleasure, again. Guys. Thank you, best thanks of friends. for being here, bro. Yeah, I'd love to be uh, love We'll to be bring back. you on. I think it's time bro. in season two, we bring on the phone in and in with John Hong segment. 
where we just call mm. you and, and <laughs> on the spot, no warning, and then just have you have you answer our questions. Absolutely. We, you're, you're, it's the who wants to be a millionaire. A lot is on the line, and we called you. So <laughs> Only if you can ha- edit in the, uh, the, the phone a friend uh, <laughs> do, do, like do, mysterious. Do. We'll get some yeah. lights. Yeah, dude. This oh is really God. fun. You're the best. We, miss we love you, you man. Miss Thank you, man. you so much for coming. Yeah, miss you guys too. You. Hope you're all, uh, you know, staying safe and, and healthy and the same for your families, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Everybody's cool. Well, uh, Fagin fam, we'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Peace, everybody. Peace out.